Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Welcome to Becoming Buffy. This is the spoiler section for The Wish. Uh, Just our regular heads up, we will be spoiling everything for the entirety of the show Buffy as well as Angel. So if you do not want to know spoilers, then we highly recommend logging off and listening to our next episode, which will be the spoiler-free section for Amends. Yeah, Amends is next. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I was like, which one's next? (laughs) Yeah, our Christmas episode. So yeah, if you don't care about spoilers, then welcome. This is the place for you. All right, this episode. I feel like this is one of the few episodes in the show that is a two-parter and it's not like right after each other. Like it's a two-parter in the sense that you have like one episode and then a couple different ones and then Doppelganglin pops up. I always forget that Doppelganglin is a different episode than this one. Oh, weird. Um. Like, I, I, I love Doppelganglin and I love The Wish, but because, you know, you have Willow, that Willow in it, I forget that they're not the same one. Yeah. Um, But I love that they do that because it creates mm-hmm. two very interesting episodes. And I feel like if we had focused more on Vampire Willow in this episode, it would have taken away from other stuff. Yeah. I prefer Doppelganglin to this one. Oh, really? Why? I think, not that I don't love this episode. I mean, I don't hate any episode in season three, Uh, but I think the fact that it's one of those abnormal episodes that after you've seen it a few times is not really exciting or new anymore because it's like it's like an alternate universe and it really only works like the first like two times and like a a fresh take Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Um, I, I again, I really love it. Like it's really enjoyable to watch. Like everyone does a stellar job. It's a great filmed episode. But Double Gangland is continues to be fresh because it's what we know and then something new on top of that. So it's like Vampire Willow with like the Scoobies and then a normal storyline. So it's like fun and there's something new to enjoy every time you watch it. Whereas like The Wish is like, you know, this isn't real. You know what to expect because it's a different universe. Like the characters don't You know really what I mean? Remember. It's only really like Yeah. It's not really as like not jarring, but just like not as like I really can't think of anything other than like fresh. It doesn't move the plot forward at all. It really serves only to remind the viewer of what life would be like without Buffy, kind of give him a peek behind the curtain. But Doppelganglin does so much for Willow's character. And I think it's the first and only Willow-centric episode of season three. One of my least favorite like things in a TV show is an episode, a one-off episode where um, is really only supposed to be enjoyed the first time you watch it through Mm. i think shows tend to try to avoid that and i think that's a good call out of all the episodes i've seen and every show i've ever seen where this like it's like the theme of like the wish where it's like either alternate universe or like you know what i mean like or like something like screwed up with time or like they have to like like an episode where like you know what i mean where like everyone's stuck in a room and they have to figure everything out like it's only really enjoyable the first one maybe two times 
this is the most rewatchable and the most enjoyable out of the shows that I've seen that in. Um, and that usually comes with the territory of like sci-fi or like actiony shows or like things like that. Cause it's not really, you can't really do that much unless you're watching psych. And for some reason that weird Christmas episode where it's <laughs> supposed to be like the Christmas Carol. Yeah. Weird effing episode. Um, but like that to say, like this is the best one I've seen because they have a mix between modern Buffy in like the first like quarter, and then they have like the Wish Universe, and then the last like couple up ep- or um couple minutes towards the end. But that being that was very long winded, no, but I good. really love Double England. Yeah, I I appreciate the Wish. I think the thing that makes this episode so like rewatch like it has it has a rewatchability is the message of hope at the end and i think that it it stems back to friendship and hope and it kind of reminds us of why the scoobies are friends and i honestly think that the the hidden gem of this episode is the friendship between the scoobies and giles and i think that's something we've been missing for the past couple episodes i know i keep saying this but season 3 is just not great when it comes to the scoobies and their relationship and i guess you could say that just kind of deteriorates as time goes on but they have their ups and downs i feel like there's times where they're like really solid really good and it feels like ever since buffy's gotten back it's just been kind of like one lie after the other and we don't really see them rally until towards the end of the season um, and so I feel like the wish is a good reminder of, hey, they need each other. They actually do like each other. And now that everybody – there's no more like stupid Willow and Xander crap going on, we can finally like enjoy their friendship again to a certain extent. I will say like – yes, I agree with you, Sarah. But I, I wanted to say I kind of gr- disagree with you, Tabby. I actually love this episode. I think I could like – not that you don't love it. I do like, love this episode. No, um, but – I think that the more that I rewatch the show, the more I like this episode because I think this episode reigns so true because it's like the Buffy we see in this episode looks so much like Kendra, looks so much like Faith, looks so much like season six Buffy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like just that loneliness and that self-isolation that Buffy puts herself through, we see her get really cold. and I like it because it just feels real. And it also just like it's a constant reminder like Sunnydale needs Buffy or needed before it blew up. But like <laughs> it needs Buffy. The world needs Buffy. Like and so I love watching episodes like this because it reminds me like Buffy isn't doing like endless work. Like she's making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the message of hope. I think that that is something that – is relevant in any time, but it feels like, especially with, you know, COVID times and politics and all that stuff, sometimes it's just like, but it's got to be better than this. And I think it's, it's kind of a cool rallying cry to better our world and try to, you know, be kind and compassionate and stuff. So I think that's kind of a timeless message. So perfect right before amends. Um, also, I think it's funny that Giles mentions the Cleveland Hellmouth and we're going to actually hear him talk about that again in Chosen when the Hellmoth is destroyed on the on in Sunnydale, and then he's like, "Well, there's another one in Cleveland," which I love because it's kind of like a cool little Easter, or I guess it's an Easter egg in this episode of like, "Hey, Buffy would have been at a Hellmouth if it wasn't this one; it would have been the one in Cleveland." 
Also, since we're kind of talking about amends, I love that amends is the next episode after this because in this one, we see how Buffy inspires Angel and we see what it would be like if Buffy wasn't here. And so I think amends because it's all about Angel thinking about his guilt and it being amplified through the first and how Buffy is kind of the person that grounds him and pulls him back. And so I think that that it just makes a lot of sense that that would be the next episode. All right, let's talk about Anya, you guys. Anya's here. I'm so excited. I love whenever we finally get like a new character because I'm like, okay, good. Like there's a whole like part of the the series that we just haven't been able to talk about yet. What are you guys' thoughts? I think it's so interesting because Anya is the most casual introduction of a character I think we have on the show. I mean, Oz is pretty like casual, but like when you meet Oz, you kind of have a feeling you're going to see him again. Yeah, yeah. When I watch this episode, I really think that Anya is a one-off villain. Like, I really think we are never going to see her again. And yeah. then she pops up in Doppelgangland, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Anya's back. That's kind of a cool callback. And then again, I think we'll never see her again. And then it's like she just keeps coming back, and you're like, okay. like, And I just... I don't know. I love it. Like, I remember the first time I watched this through, I kept forgetting about Anya. And then she would come back and it would take me a few minutes to be like, like who is this? This chick, chick is still around? Like, Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, it's Anya. Like, and I kind of like that because it feels normal. Yeah. It feels very Like, organic. I feel like that's how stuff happens. Like, mm-hmm. life happens. Obviously, taking the mystical stuff out of it. It's like sometimes important people in your life just kind of keep showing up and then one day, you know, they become so important in your life. And it's like, I don't know. I just like that they don't always introduce characters the same way. you like, I just, I don't know. Cause it's like when you have Kendra and you have um, Faith and all this stuff, their introductions are always so big because it has to be because it's like, oh, you know, a new Slayer. Right. It's so crazy that a character from just this episode becomes like a pretty big member of the group in later seasons. I have a really, um, selfish desire for the show. I really, 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 really wish that we had many, many more episodes of Anya's relapse in season seven Mm -hmm. of being like a um, vengeance demon again. And like, I understand the whole point of her being a vengeance demon, but then also having guilt. So her not wanting to like kill people, but like, there's actually a lot of things I wish they did different with Anya's characters in season seven specifically. Um, but like having her have a little bit more of a pitfall and then having selfless a couple episodes later um, and then her like like really trying to have to work at being a good person and having to like fight her own personal demons and didn't really take the bitter route until like the last like episode and then her like kind of coming to peace in the last episode and then like sacrificing herself. I really feel like that would have been such a beautiful arc for her in a season. Um, And I feel like the whole argument of like Anya's redemptive arc being rushed in season seven and then like Spike's redemptive arc being rushed in season seven are very different only because Anya was a human and chose to be good for so long and then had a relapse and then the that was the reason why she was able to kind of come on the other end pretty soon afterwards. But you saw her go through a lot of like different emotions throughout that season, whether or not it was in the forefront or not. I just really feel like it's hard because there's sometimes I feel like I watch Buffy and then I'll watch other shows and I'm like, they focus so much on Buffy, which I appreciate. And that's why she's 
so admired and adored as a as a character. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but it's like a lot of the characters suffer because of that. And what I mean by that is just like they don't get a ton of like limelight to really flesh out a lot of their issues that they just don't really discuss. <laughs> um They'll kind of sometimes they'll throw stuff in the script. I'm like, did you mean it for it to come out that way? Did the actor mean it for it to come out that way? Or am I just missing stuff? And I really feel like we need to like dig deep into that a little bit more. And I feel like sometimes characters can be underused and um, or just like there are certain things that I just really wish we had more time in. And there are specific times where I'm just like, I'm so like, oh, like I just wish we had just taken time away from like sometimes some stupid storylines and some episodes and then just given it to more stuff that would have been so much better and just so much more impactful for like some characters arcs that they're trying to do. You know what I mean? And I really feel like Anya was like a huge like component of that, especially in season seven. And I just wish that we had seen a ton more of like First of all, her flashbacks of her like demon days, but then also like her current demon current demon days being a little bit more intense in season seven because we only saw it in Selfless and then she just ended at the end of the episode. What do you guys think? I mean, I agree with you, Tabs. I think that I really like liked, <laughs> I guess, Anya's character. And then season seven just makes me so angry for her because she deserves better. I I'm all for characters going through a period of time where they're not the nicest character. Buffy goes through it. Willow goes through it. Cordelia goes through it. Angel goes through it. Like every major character really goes through a time where they're not really themselves or they're just figuring things out. And so they're a lot harsher and stuff. And Depending so on the like, episode, Spike goes through it. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that I like that Anya has that time where she's, really struggling between what she actually believes and what she just morphed into because she was with Xander and what she was taught. And like, it's a really interesting concept and it was a really interesting storyline, but I think that it just wasn't dedicated enough time to. And it's like, then in season seven, you have this just angry, bitter character that never really got to dive into it and we never really got to see i mean besides her death which was sacrificial and i think that that's beautiful for her but it's like we never really got to see anya grow you know she just kind of she had her last final moment which was like you know sacrificial but it's like all of season seven she just kind of reverts back to season three anya like, she's just kind of angry and bitter and hates everyone and is so rude to Buffy. So rude. And it's just kind of like if she was like that for half a of a season and then the second half of the season or even like the last two episodes, she just like, you know, grew. I'd be like, great. But it's the fact that she dies with that being our last impression of her that really just rubs me the wrong way because Anya, she could have been such a better character than that. And they really just didn't dedicate time to her. So I both agree and disagree. I think it isn't Buffy's screen time that takes away from Anya. I think it's just the fact that the writers were not good with their time in season seven. They The same could be said about Willow's arc in season seven. The same could be said, I mean, I think Xander is probably the only one that actually has Xander and Buffy, a decent arc. Um, well, not even Buffy in season seven. A lot of people like to blame 
the potentials. And I think they're definitely a facet of it. I think the show was stretched too thin in some ways, but I also just think that the show didn't use their time well. I think there are episode after uh-huh. episode where it's like uh-huh. the potentials of training. Yeah. It's like the potentials aren't the problem here. It's just they're choosing mm. to focus on the potentials and not the core four or Anya or whoever. And so because of that, you end up having a string of like seven, eight episodes where it's like, okay, nothing's going to, nothing's really happening here. We have cold and aloof Buffy. We have bitter, uh, jaded Anya. We have very aloof Willow, who's kind of like, not sure who she is. Xander's kind of nice here. Dawn is like kind of floating, doesn't know who she is. We don't even recognize- I actually like Dawn in season seven. Yeah, but she, but yeah, Dawn actually does have a really good arc. Dawn is the best Dawn in season seven. You're right, yes. Hands down. But she, you could tell she has a quiet confidence. She's not in the forefront. She's kind of in the background knowing who she is and her boundaries. Right. But then you have a Giles we don't even recognize. Oh, I don't even want to talk about Giles. Yeah, we don't have to. It's fine. Um, but the only exceptions are because they're focusing on Spike, which we've talked about before, about how we're just not happy with how they do Spike's arc. Um, you have focus on Spike. You have Andrew, who they suddenly decided to give an arc to, which, I mean, I like Andrew's arc, but it's like, okay, I'd much rather be like learning more about Willow or, you know, the others. And I don't care about him enough to, to see his great arc in season seven. Yeah. Give it to someone else we care about and we've seen for seven seasons. Right. And they had no shortage of episodes that they could have done yeah. this with, uh-huh. but they chose to not use their time well. And so it's really only the last two episodes of Buffy where all of a sudden everybody's arcs suddenly start up again. So they pretty much get like stop once you hit um, conversations with dead people. And then start up again in, I think it's end of days is the penultimate episode. When all of a sudden you have that beautiful moment between Anya and Andrew where she talks about how she wants to stay and fight and how humans can actually be good. And um, Andrew's like, I think you love humans and stuff like that. And you kind of start to see a a softening of Anya where she's not so jaded and she wants to actually help them. Um, And then you see Buffy, you know, soften a little bit too and like have finally have conversation with Spike and then Angel comes back. And then, you know, so it feels like everybody's arc suddenly start up again. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Joss Whedon came back and was like now at the helm again. And he he obviously understands his characters. Um, So I think that when it comes specifically to Anya, I I think it's realistic that she would be bitter and frustrated in season seven after what happened to her in season seven or season six being left at the altar and stuff. But I agree with you that they did not do her arc well. And you kind of start to resent her, especially after Deadman's party and how she treats Buffy. It's not a good look for anybody. But I Empty feel, places. Oh, did I say empty places? Oh, I said Deadman's party you today. Said, <laughs> same same thing. thing. She's not there for that one, though. Oh, good thing. But in empty places, Anya is especially brutal to Buffy. The worst thing that Willow and Xander do in Giles is they – well, Giles is a little worse. But Willow and Xander don't actually stick up for Buffy. They just kind of agree with those who are being mean to her. Anya kind of goes for the jugular. and But not even true things. I'm like, girl, what? Like, with the stuff that she says, I'm like, excuse? She's just so I don't bitter. know. What? Yeah. Like, it just came out of a place where it's like, clearly you are a bit bitter and angry and are projecting on Buffy. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, I will forever die on this hill, but I think one of the worst things that the writers ever did for both Anya and Xander was have them break up in Hell's Bells. I think it would have been – it would have changed season six 
so much if they had kept Anya and Xander together and actually given them a healthy relationship because they would have been one of the only stable people in season six and they would have grounded us and allowed us to have somebody that was somewhat stable. And it would have been interesting to watch Xander have to grow through a relationship, learn communication, all this stuff. But it Rather set, than bolting. It set back his and Anya's arc so mm-hmm. much and they never did anything really with it. So it felt pointless. And I think if they were going to have them break up in Hell's Bells, they should have gone somewhere with it and they didn't. And honestly, I, I get the argument that like Anya's arc was only really ever growing when she was in a relationship and that's a form of fridging. Yeah. And I, I yeah. do kind of agree with the core of that because the more I rewatch the show and I do like Anya, I, I'm going to really hurt people's feelings with this. <laughs> She's not my favorite character. She's not I'll my favorite. i here and be real with you. Yeah. Like I don't particularly find her really interesting and here's why. I think that they kind of play her as a bit ditzy rather than her not understanding human life. I think she's cute and I think that she's really fun and I like her on Buffy and I like – I love Emma Col- Caulfield. Caulfield. Yeah. I think she's a brilliant, brilliant actress. Like she kills every scene she's in. It's just I think that they just – I just think – I, I envision such a better Anya in my brain. Like, put me in the writer's room. Um, and it makes me mad because it's like I she tends to fit inside a box that I've seen so many other times. It doesn't translate well for me if she's ditzy and doesn't understand Social her cues. brain or just somebody who just doesn't know how to be a human. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just – I don't understand her sometimes. So a lot of people hypothesize – I and. We don't think the writers did this intentionally, but a lot of people who are on the spectrum identify with Anya. And so a lot of people oh. have actually hypothesized that Anya is on the spectrum. I think it is for autism mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that she takes – she can only understand literal things. She doesn't grasp social cues very well. Um, and so there – there have been a lot of people that are like, hey, I identify with that and I can see myself in her. And so I think that's like – I think that's a really great thing. It's kind of sad mm. because I don't think the writers intended that. Um, it would have been awesome if they sure. had and they leaned into that. But I, I don't know that it's so much that that bothers me. It's more of the inconsistencies with her. I think it's hard sometimes to be like, okay, but you were human before you became a vengeance demon. And all the flashbacks we see of her as a vengeance demon, she seems to understand social cues at least somewhat. And then even in this episode here, I look at this Anya and I don't recognize the Anya that we see in the later seasons. Yes. Um, no, her character literally – it changes like four times. Yeah, it really does with her hair. <laughs> she doesn't quite – that's what I'm – maybe that's what I'm trying to say. I don't get her yeah. as a character. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really fully wrapped my head around it. I don't really think I understand what the writers are trying to do because I think what they're they're trying to tell us is that she doesn't understand life, which is like, okay, but – you're you weren't like a ghost during that time, right? You, you were still, still were like, roaming around. You were still a part of humans. Like you're going to pick up something, and you're not going to completely exactly. lose your humanity because you're still in the world. Yeah, it just never yeah. made sense. And it's like, and I, and again, I don't hate her character. I think she's enjoyable. I think she's adorable. I really love s- certain scenes, but it's just like, I don't know. There's a disconnect with me with her. I just don't. I. She grows, quote unquote, when she's with Xander when they're happy, and then when they're not together. She's just completely different again. And I'm like, you change every season and it doesn't really make sense. I think the biggest thing for me with Anya 
is the fact that I never feel like she is a fully fleshed out character. To me, yeah. she always seemed like a side character. And I, I think she falls into the same camp. I think she's a little more fleshed out than Oz simply because she's around longer. But she falls mm-hmm. into the same camp as Tara, um, as Riley in a, in a sense. Even, but even Riley has more of an arc sometimes than she does. So I think that it's hard not to look past or it's hard not to see her as more than just the comedy relief at times. I think it is hilarious, though, that her first episode on the show is the one where she has to provide revenge for Xander's ex, and then she's going to end up going on to date and almost marrying oh, him. Yeah. That irony just never ceases. I love me. that irony. It's so funny. Um, So apparently, she was going to be a one-shot character, but was brought back for Doppelgangland, where she was made more humorous and less um, just like scary and straight as she was in this one. Not, you know, straight as in sexuality, but, you know, straight the straight character. When the producers realized how funny Emma Caulfield was, they simply kept bringing her back until she was made a regular cast member, including appearing in the opening credits at the start of season five. So she technically wasn't a regular cast member for all of season four, but she was in most of the episodes, which is kind of crazy. I remember um, her talking about in an interview how she would just like come back and then kept coming back. And then it was like graduation day and they were like, well, we'll see you again. And she was like, yeah, I have a feeling they're going to call me again. And one day they were just like, hey, we want you to be a series regular. And that's how she ended up just being on the show. So IMDb says this. Um, It talks about how Giles' exposition was changed, and I think we read this in the regular episode where it says, Anyanka raised a demon to ruin her unfaithful lover. The demon did her bidding, but then cursed her and turned her into sort of patron saint for scorned women. Apparently, the cry of a wronged woman is like a siren's call to Anyanka. So that was initially in the script, and then they didn't actually put it into the episode. Because of this alteration to Giles' dialogue, the first direct mention of Anya having been human before she was a vengeance demon comes in something blue in season four. However, the aired The Wish does still have Giles say that destroying Anyanka's power center will make her an ordinary woman again, implying that she had been one before. This version of events is different from what will eventually be established in something blue and in triangle and then in selfless. Um, Anya cursed her unfaithful lover, Olaf, attracting the attention of the demon de Hoffren and accepted de Hoffren's offer to elevate her to a demon status, which is really interesting because I always forget that Olaf in Triangle season five is um, her husband or like was her lover. I don't know if they were actually married, but yeah, it's just always, it's weird how we like find her history out in like bits and pieces and you have to kind of like piece it all together. Mm-hmm. She's a very scattered character. She is. Mm-hmm. It feels like they don't quite know what they're doing with her. Well, and I was about to say a lot of that, like, I think is because they didn't know what to do with her. And I think it translates. Like, you you really, like, you get the sense that the writers don't know what they're doing with her. Which is unfortunate because you really don't get that sense with a lot of other characters. Yeah. I mean, I get, I feel like her arc from four to five was really good, or I guess I should say three to five was really good because Joss was still at the helm. He yeah. like was making her have an arc of like hating men to going season to, five is the best her. Yes. Going to having her like engaged to marry Xander, which I feel like is perfect symmetry. But then it just kind of goes downhill after that. 
So cool factoid, the scene where Cordelia walks through Sunnydale's main street, finding it a deserted wasteland with the populace too frightened to venture out at night is repeated shot by shot in Doppelgangland, except Vampire Willow is walking through. So she walks the exact same place, but she finds it full of happy people. Although she never witnesses it, this one shot encapsulates the difference Buffy coming to Sunnydale makes, that things would be infinitely worse without her. And then this is especially relevant in Gingerbread, where Joyce questions whether Buffy really does any good by being the Slayer. So when we watch Doppelgangland, we'll have to look out for that shot that recreates Vamp Willow walking through in the same spot as Cordelia. This is the only episode where Cordelia and Anya speak directly with each other. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But I mean, I guess in my mind, I separate their characters so much that it's like, I kind of forget that they even interact at all. I wish we had had more more time with them. I think they'd hate each other. (laughs) Because of course, they have to have every female hate Cordelia. I think that Angel version of Cordelia would actually find Anya funny. But I think that Buffy version of Anya or of Cordelia would not like Anya. Yeah, maybe. Can I just speak about that for a second? <laughs> Why is it that that Cordelia, as a female character, never gets along with any of the other female characters? Why do they have to like give in to that like very frustrating like stereotype? I, you know, and I don't know how much of it is a stereotype or how much of it is that Joss Whedon just did not like Charisma Carpenter. Like, I. But it, do you notice that it's like even just in general, the women have a hard time being buddy buddies with each other even it's like buffy and willow are supposed to be bffs and half the time they're barely talking to each other or like we get after season like four arguably we we rarely get moments with like buffy and willow being really close like you're they're supposed to be told that they're still bffs but do you really ever see them hang out as much yeah no it feels like they're mostly just friends who are so used to having their lives intertwined that they don't know what it's like to be separate from each other and they just coexist Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's just the it's women sad. have a hard time connecting. The, the the males and the females together have usually have a way more of a bond and like a growth in a relationship. Or even just like the males with the males have a way easier time. But it's like all these women have such a hard time in Buffy when it's supposed to be a women empowering show. That's honestly been something I've been thinking about recently. And it really frustrates me. But especially with Cordelia. See, I don't think that's fully fair to say that about all the women because we have Willow and Tara. We have Tara and Dawn. We have Tara and Buffy. We have Willow and Buffy to a certain extent. We have Buffy and Dawn. We have Joyce and Dawn, Joyce and Buffy, Joyce and Willow, Joyce and Tara. A lot of those people are either in a relationship or in a family and or just Tara in general who's not even a fully-fledged character. So, so she's supposed to be – Buffy or Tara, you're good to be with other women. Right. But I think – the only other exceptions then would just be Anya and Cordelia. And I think Anya and Willow. And Willow. Willow's not friends with any of either of those girls. Willow was nice to Dawn. And Willow is friends at times with Buffy. Like you can't say that they're enemies. Like they don't get along well, no, at times. I'm, I'm talking – I'm talking about like yes, I'm I'm talking a little bit about like Willow and, and Buffy's close relationship that we don't really see, but also like Willow wasn't friends at all, didn't like Cordelia even after everything had happened. Right, but I think there's um, a core same reason. Thing with Anya. I think there's a reason why Willow doesn't like Cordelia or Anya because of Xander, and they address this in Triangle too. 
there's always a part of Willow that's going to feel possessive over Xander because he and her were like that. BFFs. No, I know you do, but I think that's the reason why. And I don't think it's necessarily like women can't be friends in the show. I think it's just that Willow has issues with all these women. And it's it comes down to Willow's insecurity. It's a Willow problem, really. <sighs> and Joss Whedon has said blatantly that Willow and Xander combined are – both aspects of his personality. So it makes so much sense that he oh, would- All the bad parts, of course. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, there's a reason why he can write dark so well. Speaking of dark, um, Willow's board now that she says in this episode as Vamp Willow is repeated in Doppelgangland, but it is also something that Dark Willow says in Villains. I will say I love that they did that. Are you going to have that tattooed on you? The parallel? Or, no. <laughs> I probably would. That's kind of- Sick. It but seems like, like something you would say. Yeah, I know. But I like it because in Doppelgangland, I like how um they uh Angel kind of has that line where he kind of says, like, oh, like, well, vampire you isn't like yeah, that different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like it because it shows like Willow still has that darkness in her. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just, you know, the vampirism. It wasn't just like, yes, that's what kind of unlocked it. But I like how it showed like Willow had some dark demons in her. But it's also just like besides that, it just is such a cool moment for her to just be like bored. Now you're like, wow, because like that Willow just seems so untouchable. So before we transition into talking about Vamp Willow real fast, I'm going to just give a couple of like behind the scenes things or factoids. So the premise of this episode is actually very, very similar to the Angel episode birthday where Cordelia makes a pact to change the future and it directly impacts Angel. It's the one where she ends up uh, having her own TV show and then she like becomes a celebrity and then ends up meeting Wesley and Gunn and then finds out that Angel ended up getting the visions from Doyle and he's like crazy. And it's so – it makes me really irritated with how many times storylines are reused on Angel when they were on Buffy first. And a lot of times they're the storylines that directly involved Cordelia and Angel, and they were first used by Buffy and Angel. So you have that scene where she comes in that dark room and Angel's like half crazy and suffering over there. And he's like chained to the wall. And she's like, no, like I want to change everything back because I want to help him. And even though like Buffy isn't aware of what's happening, you have like that similar moment when Buffy comes into the cell and Angel's like, I waited for you. And like, it's like this is what would happen if Cordelia hadn't met Angel and this is what would have happened if Buffy hadn't met Angel. Um, and it just makes me kind of sad for Cordelia because it always feels like she has these constant recycled plot lines. And especially with how things ended for her on the show, it just makes me really sad that she never really like fully got to be her own person. I feel like she was forever living under Buffy and Angel's shadow in a way. Oh, Cordelia and Fred too. They don't really have a friendship uh, either. <laughs> Tabby's like thinking through all – yeah, no, I agree about that. Yes. And like all the guys have like a bond and the guys and girls have a bond. What is with it? I just like I, – I know there's more situations and I can't really think of them right now, but I've just noticed they have a hard time showing the closeness and organic relationship between most of the females and both the shows. I don't think it's most of the females. I think it's just Cordelia. I really I really don't think that it's most and of And Willow? Them. Yes. Willow barely gives time to like anyone. But there are so many more females apart from that that they do have good relationships. I agree that Cordelia and Fred should have had a good relationship. But even Gunn and Wesley have their moments where they like hurt each other and are not uber, uber close, you know? 
Well, yeah. I mean, that does that's very like a you're like that happens with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna be buddy buddies the whole show. It did bother but. me my first watch. I was like, why are Cordelia and Fred not friends? Mm-hmm. Like it felt like Cordelia was like, ugh. Fred, like they the just they sister. seem like the least close out of the group, which I think yeah. is what Tabby's talking about. Is like it's not that there isn't female friendships, yeah. it just always seems that the female friendships are the ones with the problems or that aren't close. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Cause I was like, not that like every like there aren't friendships, it just doesn't seem like anyone has a really strong bond at all, if anything. That's fair. and I think that's so frustrating when it's like it's a dominating girl cast. And yet the guys and girls have great chemistry and great arcs together or like even just the males in general. And then Buffy gets that, which is awesome. But then Sometimes it's like – I genuinely believe that Faith and Buffy have a better relationship than Willow and Buffy. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> Seriously. Believe it, for sure. I never thought I'd be like like a Faith stand in Me season either. seven. That girl can do no wrong in season seven. I'm like, everything you do, absolutely. Every rewatch of – of it, I used to hate Faith. Mm-hmm. I was like, ugh, I don't like. Say no, actually, her. me too. And now, yeah. like every rewatch, I'm like, oh my gosh, Faith just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not yeah, excusing she does. her. Season three, she's toxic. She has yeah, a lot no of, one is but excusing her. Art yeah. is phenomenal. Yes. So good. Love her. Can't wait to talk more about her. I'm like, where's Faith? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. I still can't wait. Oh, till I know. We actually get. I'm like, here we are. You know, can't wait till we get to. We're the still meet. kind of teetering the line. She hasn't turned 18 yet, so she's not a fully fledged character in the the show yeah, yet. There you go. <laughs> Um, okay, and then another thing is the top worn by Allison Hannigan as Vampire Willow was reused as a costume for Lindsay Stoddard, who played Katie Nay, the mayor's wife, or the same actress who played the mayor's wife, in an episode of Bones, The Man with the mm-hmm. Bone. And David Boyanis is on that episode. And there's like a, I think there's a picture out there. It shows David Boreanaz. I sent it to you. Did you? Okay. And it has the, yeah. the actress wearing that same shirt. And mm-hmm. like all the comments were, I wonder if he recognized that shirt or whatever. I mean, he probably didn't, but it's really funny. Like how wardrobe departments all just share. And I thought that was a nod. I didn't think that that was on, on accident. I, it was never explicitly stated. So it could have been a nod, but I feel like they would have like said something, but I feel like the character was a witch in that one or something. Maybe it was. Did you know that there's like multiple tops and like a specific two season span of like Buffy and um, friends where like Willow and Phoebe wear several of the same tops. Literally, they're the exact same size and they wear them in different episodes of the same shirt. And, And Rachel Green and Buffy. Yeah, and I think that Sex in the City as well, there's a couple of them. I think we've talked about this before. I'm always just amazed that the shirts and pants or whatever don't stretch out, that they look good because they have to wear that same outfit for like two weeks of shooting. Like it's mm-hmm. just crazy. Well, they also can tailor them. Right, but you can't tailor it if you're just going to be sending it back onto the wardrobe department for another season or another show. Like you can't tailor it too much. There's only so much you can do. Well, because if you think about it too, like – um. Jennifer Aniston and Sarah Michelle Gellar are very like similarly like built. Yeah. And same thing with like yeah. um Allison Hannigan and uh Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. And their styles are very similar right. too. Very bohemian. Um no, but Cynthia Bergstrom, the set designer, or not set designer, the costume designer said that she has to get multiples for certain shots because like the stunt double will have to wear one or whatever. But yeah, she did like there are things like the spikes jacket I know is there's no um, separate one for the stunt double. Like they mm-hmm. have to switch it off and on. The dress that Buffy wore on Halloween, Cynthia Bergstrom actually made that dress and there's only one. So the stunt double doesn't have to use it. So they have to be very strategic about what shots they use and stuff. But Anyway, I just thought that was kind of a fun little factoid. Okay, let's talk about Vamp Willow 
Okay. So obviously, Leah, you touched on foreshadowing of Willow's sexuality in season four, and we'll obviously get into that a little bit more in Doppelgangland. We have, you know, Vamp Willow seems, and this is the frustrating thing. Ugh, I know it's a product of its time, but I wish so much that there had been more of a push to say that Willow was bi and not just lesbian. And I know like they didn't want to erase Willow's attraction to women by saying, oh, she's bi because the networks or the time they could have said, oh, that's not valid. You're not actually gay. You're just going through a phase. Right. Um, But it is frustrating because even Vamp Willow seems to show a proclivity for both men and women. Um, And so it is kind of frustrating at times too because it's like, obviously we know Willow loved Oz. Like it feels like sometimes, and even her attraction to Xander and Giles, like sometimes it feels like they try to erase that and say, oh, no, she's just now into women. And it's like, well, then you're also negating everything she felt with Oz, you know? Yeah, that because that's my thing. It's like if they want to make her gay, I would have been like, whatever. But like Willow and Oz's relationship is so beautiful. And I love it. And it's like no one can convince me that Willow did not love Oz in a yeah. romantic yeah. way, not platonic. Yeah, yeah. Like Willow is definitely attracted to women. That is – there is no question there. Like she loved Tara. And she was, like, into Kennedy. Like, there's no question there. But, like, she also loved Oz. And she was also in – like, she was also into Xander. Like, she was into both. All right. So let's talk about Vampire Xander and Vampire Willow. So obviously we've talked about how up until now there's been a very clear distinction between when you're a vampire, when you're a human, at least what was established in season one. Over the course of – the series, the past couple of seasons, they've been a little bit more loosey-goosey with it, um, where it's been like, okay, I think vampires do actually retain a sense of humanity, and they're not fully different. Um, do you guys think that Willow and Xander are vastly different from their counterparts? No. Vastly different? No, I absolutely think, not. I think that they're, they're vampire versions of them, but it's like, I really just think that like, the vampire side of you is literally just the human side of you, just selfish and just acts on like that selfishness. It's literally just like the ugliness that is like a fraction of what's inside of you just becomes full Mm. when you're a vampire. It's without the option of being good Mm -hmm. in every situation. Like you may be able to do some good things, but it's always going to be for selfish reasons and mm-hmm. yeah, no, okay, I would agree with that. I think it's really funny how Xander continues to be a lackey for the master. It's like pretty like subservient, whereas Willow shows more of a sadistic streak that we see later on in the show with Dark Willow. And I just love how consistent that is. And well, I just love like the whole like running gag that like Xander is like a butt monkey for all yes, of these right? like <laughs> villains. Yes. He's like, I'm done being everyone's butt monkey. Oh, I love that line in uh, Buffy vs. Dracula. I'm tired of being everyone's butt monkey. <laughs> I love that running gag. Uh, so again, I don't consider the comics canon, but in the comics, apparently after the events of season seven, Xander kind of um, doesn't go off the rails, but he kind of like leaves for a while because he's mourning the loss of Anya. And he actually goes and finds Dracula and ends up being like working for him again for a little while. Interesting. Yeah. The comics are something else, man. I, I, every time I hear something, I'm like, interesting. <laughs> You're That's like, the only thing I can think of to say every time I hear like a new fact yeah. from the comics. Yeah. I'm like, that's an interesting direction. Have you guys All right. Have you guys ever seen or heard about Buffy and Angel's space sex in the comics? 
Yes, I have. It created a whole world or whatever. A whole dimension. Yes, I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Very weird. Anyway, on that wonderful high note, we need to really – I really need to plan this out better. I always end the spoiler section on like a really like weird note and I need a good segue. <laughs> no, we need an even weirder note is that the what takes a cake in the comics is literally just like Baby Giles. What a acid trip that is. Who decided that? I don't know. I feel like Giant Dawn is pretty pretty out there. Uh-huh. You didn't know Dawn um, becomes a giant? Do you want to know how she becomes don't a giant? Know with that. No. Let me guess. She has a really radical sex. Yep. <laughs> are you for real? They are so sexist. I swear to God. No, I but can't. I'm sorry. Someone, someone needed to go to sex therapy because why are the comics uh-huh. so horny? No, the show too. The Just show, like yes, but like the comics specifically, like what the frick? Well, okay, and I mean, uh, I've mentioned it before, but. It's never just normal sex. It's like tear down a house, be degrading. Well, okay, like that's a you whole know, blurred thing. lines between like you know, sub consent, a, things like there's that. There's a degradation <laughs> of women in when it comes to sex in Buffy, where it's like women can't just have sex for the sake of it without yeah. being punished, versus men can have sex all mm-hmm. they want. But mm-hmm. Marty Noxon, and this is this is my. This is a big beef. I think Marty Noxon mm-hmm. desperately needed to go to therapy before she wrote for Buffy. Mm-hmm. But it feels like every single thing that she writes, she likes to write those twisted romances. And I'm okay with it when it's between vampires. But then she starts to do it in season six. And we've talked about it. Everybody knows where we're at. We'll talk about it more when it gets to season six. But it just kind of – it gets draining after a while. Well, here's and the thing. People creative. can be into whatever they want to be into. More power to you. But it's like when you're doing it at the expense of what the characters are actually like yes. rather than what you are like, yes. then it doesn't translate well. I'm like, these aren't the characters. Buffy, yeah. does. she says it in season six that she feels demeaned. And dirty. During and intercourse. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like – then stop shoving it in these characters' faces. Yes, it becomes it. Beca- it pulls you out because it doesn't feel true to who the characters are, and it no. feels like you're literally just writing f- yourself into fan fiction. Mm-hmm. It felt like mm-hmm. some of these writers were writing what they wanted to see happen with the characters that they liked, and that's not really writing very well, in my opinion. So, anyway, again, on that low note, we really need to find a good segue. But <laughs> this has been <laughs> spoilers for the wish. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We want to know your thoughts on Anya in particular, what you guys feel about her arc. I feel like we said a lot of very strong opinions in this episode. So we want to hear your strong opinions because it's always interesting and maybe it'll change one of ours. No promises, but maybe it will. Um, as always, you guys can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we will see you next time. Bye.